Well, hey, uh, on a few Saturdays ago, on February 26, we had our Ironman conference here. We had 120 guys come out for the day, and the Lord did a bunch of amazing things that day. We had uh, some pretty unique worship here as men together. Uh, there were some Ironman groups formed. I'm in an Ironman group with a couple of guys, and uh, also, um, you know, there were just a lot of very cool stories that came out of that, and so it was a great day. So continuing with the Ironman ministry here that we've started here, um, we're going to be having a, actually an Ironman camp out on my property on June 3rd and 4th. It'll be a Friday night and all day Saturday, and that'll be uh, open to any, any of you who have a Y chromosome. And so uh, uh, we're going to be doing that. So Mark, you'll be hearing a lot more about it as we get closer, but the reason I'm bringing it up now is because I've asked... Uh, a number of you men to come and help me put it together, but I just want to give a general announcement that if there are any of you guys who would like to help us put that together, help us do the programming and prepping my property and stuff so that we can be ready for 100 or more guys to come on out, um, then uh, tonight at 6 o'clock I'm going to have a meeting for that. So if you're a guy, just want to come check that out and be a part of it. See you tonight at 6 o'clock, okay? How many of you are still on plan A for your life? Yeah? Good. It's working out? You're still on plan A? That's fantastic. You know, somebody said, don't worry if you're not on plan A anymore because there are 25 more letters in the alphabet. You know, you have to make these adjustments along the way, yes? To make these course corrections as we go. And uh, sometimes we need to take uh, all, uh, like an altogether new direction, yes? Things happen that we didn't anticipate, and we have to chart, set out on what seems to us to be a new course. Today I'd like you to turn to the Old Testament book of Esther, and and I want to show you that God is always on plan A. God is always on plan A. Turn to your your Bibles to the book of Esther. We're going to continue this morning in another installment of the Through the Bible series. We're all the way up to Esther, having looked in a survey fashion at Ezra and Nehemiah last week, and this will be the 14th stop in the Through the Bible series. I'm really excited about bringing you the book of Esther because the, the home group that Karen and I have, we just spent the last few months talking about Esther, and it was a very purposeful Bible study for both men and women, and so uh, I feel like I'm, I'm ready to go on this one. Um, we're going to use the same format as I have before in this series, but I'd like to start by pointing out some important elements of the context surrounding the book of Esther, in other words, what's What's going on? Well, this is happening in the 5th century B.C., so we need to kind of put that chronologically in place. I was talking with a young couple last week who wanted some clarification after the message on Ezra and Nehemiah, and they said, now, where does this all kind of fit in with Moses and David and all that stuff? And it's a little bit frustrating for us, isn't it, that the Bible isn't, like, organized in chronological order, right? Don't you? And the reason for that is because we're living in post-enlightenment. We're living in the age of, we call it the age of reason, but we're, we call it, you know, we, we're, we're, we live in the last three to 500 years in a time where in the Western world, everything progresses in a linear fashion because we want to control it, basically. And we want to be able to know that A goes to B, goes to C, goes to D, and we get really frustrated when something happens out of order, Right? Well, this is a very modern mindset compared to human history where things were just seen more conceptually and more organically together 
rather than in a linear fashion. Does that make sense? Say so yes, I'll start this whole thing again. I'll, I'll go all the way back to bringing Joni up here if you guys don't get with it here. Um, and so uh, this happened in the 5th century B.C. The Israelites are still in Persian captivity. So remember that because of their disobedience, their unfaithfulness, they were warned by the prophets, they largely ignored the warnings of the prophets, they were carried off by the Babylons, who for 70 years, so, but during that period of time, they were, the Babylons were conquered by the Persians. And so now, you know, as I said last week, they were under new management, and Persia is really the superpower of the world. You've got to get a hold of this. This isn't just a localized sphere of influence. At this time, Persia was the superpower of the world. The Persian kings, in context, had a kind of undisputed unilateral power. What they said went. They did not have to confer a council. Uh, and so they, they ruled, as you can imagine, with an iron fist. And, uh, and we also see in context here that as we look at the book of Esther, that God had a plan for the release and the restoration of the Jews, that they were in captivity, but God had a plan. Last week we talked about the plan being the remnant, but God had a plan. He had a larger plan for the release and the restoration of, of, of the Israelites. It should also maybe be mentioned that the book of Esther is the foundation for a Jewish feast called the Feast of Purim, which is the, an annual feast that is celebrated to uh, just recognize what God did in this book. Interesting that the name of God is never mentioned in the book. Did you know that? That God is never referred to in the book of Esther, and, uh, but his, his hand is seen throughout it. And so, so much did they understand that God was the one who did what he did in the book of Esther, that a feast was, was really uh, dedicated to him and it's been celebrated annually. It's such a big part of the book that the word banquet, the Hebrew word for banquet, occurs 20 times in the book of Esther and it occurs 24 times in the entire rest of the Old Testament. So it's kind of, uh, it's kind of a, a, about, about that. So this is the context that I'd like for you to take into consideration this morning as we look at, uh, look at the passage that God has for us. Um, in terms of the main storylines, you kind of have to cross out the S. You know, usually when I do these books, I say, well, this is a main storyline, this is a main storyline. There's only one storyline. It's one story from beginning to end, the book of Esther. It's a fascinating story. So there's this king in Persia, and his name is Xerxes. And he's having, he does a six-month, 180-day display of all his wealth and power to the world around him. This is how you prop up your, your power, is you show them how powerful you are. At the end of the six months, he has a big party. The men are having a big party. The women are having a separate big party. It's interesting that it says at the men's party that the king allowed everybody to drink any way they wanted to. So there was lots of wine. Everybody was pretty much hammered, okay? And in the midst of this male revelry, where everybody's in this inebriated state, somebody persuades the king, perhaps it was his own idea, I have an idea, I think I'll bring the queen in to entertain us. Her name is Vashti. And it says that she was beautiful. 
And so the king calls for her, and it says here, it says, to bring before, verse 11 in chapter 1, to bring before him Queen Vashti wearing her royal crown in order to display her beauty to the peoples and nobles, for she was lovely to look at. There's an important omission here when it goes over to English. And the Hebrew intent of this is really that she, to bring Queen Vashti wearing only her royal crown. That changes things, doesn't it? That's the kind of party that's going on here, okay? Well, Queen Vashti says, forget you, buddy, which doesn't go over well. And so King does call some of his advisors, says, what should be done to the queen who doesn't come when I call? And they said, well, she should be banished from your presence, or else, it says, the other women in the kingdom might think that they can disobey us too. King, you better nip this in the bud. We're all going home after this. So a search, a search is, ensues for a new queen to, to, since uh, Vashti has been dequeened. Well, long story short, through the course of things, there's this Jewish guy named Mordecai, and he has a relative, a beautiful young woman named Esther. And he proposes her to be considered as part of this harem of women who were considered for, um, for uh, possibly replacing Vashti as queen. And so the Bible says that she goes through all these beauty treatments and stuff, long time getting her ready. And, of course, you get it, that she's the one who's picked. So this Jewish woman in captivity is picked as the next queen. And so that's kind of cool. Well, in the course of things then, Mordecai, the guy who, you know, my son says pimped her out. Uh, he has a different take on the book of Esther. <laughs> Brad has a different take on everything. But anyway, the guy who promoted her to be chosen as queen, then uh, Mordecai gets, uh, becomes privy to a conspiracy to kill the king. So he knows that there's this conspiracy, which he then informs officials about, and the conspiracy is averted. Okay? Five years begins to pass. You've got to kind of hold that one in your mind. Okay. Enter. Get ready to do dun-dun-dun. The evil, vile Haman. Okay, right. He is definitely the antagonist in this story. And this guy named Haman comes, and his issue, he has a... He has a a, not only a lifelong problem with Mordecai and the Jews, but he has a generational problem with the Jews. There had been feuds between these two lines for generations. And so he hated Mordecai. And so he hatched this plan. I know how I'm going to get rid of Mordecai. I'm going to hatch this. Haman was, was like the, the king's uh, right-hand man. And so Haman says, I'm going to hatch this plan to persuade the king that the Jews are dangerous people because they don't bow down to you right. They still have this God notion thing they bow down to. And so he, he, in a very sneaky, manipulative way, he says, these people should be annihilated. And, and, and King uh, Xerxes says, yes, these people really should be. Not only did he not know who these people were, but he didn't know that Esther was one of those people. You feel the tension building? Ooh. Some of you are so new to the scripture, I love looking at your faces like, yeah, yeah. And what, I, lo I love you. I'm just here for you. I told you I just tolerate the rest. And so, 
And so Mordecai goes to Esther and says, you are in a position of influence. You have got to stand in that place of getting this thing changed or we're all going to perish. Well, Esther says, ah, that's a big risk for me. And Mordecai says, well, remember, you're Jewish too. Don't forget that. You're Jewish too. If this happens, it's going to be bad for everybody. And so she kind of does this thing, arrangement, where she goes in, and she's not even allowed to approach the king unless he extends his scepter to her. I love this idea for marriage, don't you? I just just think, guys, what? I think this is, I think this is great. I mean, at our house, I just have like a velvet rope that, I, that she has to stand behind until I say, come, come. Who believes that? <laughs> Thank you, Charlie. <laughs> Don't encourage him, Tom. Don't encourage him. Move, move on. Move on. I have to move on now, Charles. Okay. So, so he persuades her to help. And so what Esther does is she calls a, a, a little dinner for the king and for Haman. And says, and says hey, I would like to have a, a big party for you guys tomorrow. All right. And so Haman's all, oh, the queen wants to have a dinner for me. This is so cool. And I, I'm going to be honored. And so the night in between... King, the king can't sleep. And so he's not sleeping. He's walking around. And catch this. In order that he might fall back to sleep, he has the annals of his reign read to him. How boring is your life that your biography would put you to sleep, right? And so they come to the part where there was this guy named Mordecai five years earlier who had averted this conspiracy and... and and the king stops and says, what was done for that man? And he said, nothing was done for that man. Okay. He goes to sleep. He wakes up. The next day then, Haman good, comes in. Haman comes in. And, uh, hey, what's going on, king? And he goes, and, he, and he, he, he speaks like this. He says, hey, what should be done? What should be done for someone who is so devoted to the king that he would give his life for him, that he would, you know, that he would just surrender, you know, kind of thing. And Haman, thinking he's talking about him, says, oh, that man should be dressed in a royal robe and be led around on a horse. (laughs) And the king says, that's an excellent idea. Oh, Haman's getting excited. And then the king says, go and do that for Mordecai. And he has to go do that. Ay, ay, ay. So the banquet ensues, and Mordecai is honored. And um, it turns out then that during this time, then Queen Esther says, you know, my lord, which I think is another good thing for marriages. My lord, you know, what if there was a plan hatched to kill me and my people. What should be done to that man? King says he should be hanged. Well, in the meantime, Haman had constructed, it says a gallows in English, but it was actually a big spike upon which to impale 
yeah. And he had constructed this big spike of execution to ha- in order to execute Mordecai. And they, it's called a gallows in here. But what should be done? Well, he should be executed. And uh, they say, well, how fortunate. There's, there's one of those gallows of 75 feet tall that's actually just outside the door here. And so Haman is impaled. Mordecai is honored. The people are spared of this genocide. And God gets the glory. That's the story. That's the storyline in the book of Esther. And I think if we want to think about a hot spot, you know, what does the Holy Spirit want to say to us today? I would direct your attention to chapter 4 of Esther. And look with me starting at verse, uh, verse 12. This is, you know, in process. You know the context. You know the story. So, you know, Mordecai had presented the case to Esther, and she said, yeah, sounds risky, and returned this. Verse 12, when Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. Get that. Will arise from another place, but you and your family, your father's family, will perish. And who knows, catch this, but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. It's as if you don't do this. God will raise somebody up. He'll raise somebody else up to accomplish his purpose. Because God always has a plan, and it's always plan A. Well, raising someone up, isn't that plan B? No. It's still his same plan. It's how we respond to the presentation of his plan as free moral agents that decides whether it's plan A for us. It's God's plan. It's going to happen. God always has a plan, and it's always plan A. You know, we think, we've been noticing lately in our times together that things are changing rapidly in the world. Our, our fulfillment of prophecies at a breakneck pace, I believe that we're in the last days. And that's cause, perhaps, for some, some fear. I, I find my greatest comfort in the knowledge that whatever's happening is the fulfillment of God's sovereign plan. And I don't want any of it to go away just so that I don't have to deal with fear and anxiety. 
I want God's plan A that he's working out. He told us about it over and over again. I want God's plan A to be my plan. I want it to be my plan. I want, I want the plan of my life to be fully surrendered to whatever it is God's doing. I want God's plan A to be my life. In Jeremiah 29, 11, this is one of our favorite refrigerator verses. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. That's a good word. You know, Jeremiah, the Lord spoke those words through Jeremiah when he was telling them in Persia that they were going to be restored. That's the context of that. I know it looks bad, but God has a plan for you, a plan to give you hope and a future. We can't let ISIS rob us of the hope that we have in God. Our hope was never in man, whether it's a good man or a bad man. Our hope was never in man. Our hope has always been in God. So that God is allowing certain things to rise up Levels of evil we, we would never have even imagined cannot rob us of our hope if our hope is still in God. It can only rob us of our hope and our sense of future if our hope was in man. I think we should put the next two verses on the refrigerator as well. Which says, Then you will call on me. And come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. Catch this. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. That's what the next two verses are. About the, I have good plans for you to give you hope in the future. Oh, great. And I just sit back, put my feet up, click through the channels. (laughs) Then you will call on me. And come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. All your heart. All your heart. Hebrews 11, that God rewards those who diligently seek him. Do you want to be released from the fear of today? Then diligently seek God. How many of you have been in our gatherings together, and you've left here with a sense of peace about something you were afraid of before you came in. And then it trickled off, didn't it? You're here, you're seeking God. You're worshiping God. You're in community with believers. And it is there that the Lord bestows blessing, even life forevermore, says Psalm 133. Getting back to plan A. Some of you may be are in situations, I was praying through this, or you're like, I am like on plan W. I'm so far off what I thought I was going to be and do. How do I get back to plan A? How do I get back to God's plan? Number one, believe that God actually has a plan for your life. You've got to make a decision of belief. Believe that God actually does have a plan for your life. You can choose to believe that or not believe it, but you won't ever get back to it until you make a decision of faith. I believe because the scripture tells me that God has a plan for my life. 
God has always had a plan. When the Israelites were in Egypt in slavery, God had a plan. His name was Moses. When the Israelites were up against Goliath, the giant who was taunting the armies of Israel, God had a plan. His name was David. When Israel had turned away from the Lord and Ahab and Jezebel were in power and everybody was worshiping Baal and Asherah, God had a plan. He raised up Elijah, who took him on on Mount Carmel and demonstrated that God is God. When Jerusalem was in ruins and the people lived in Persia, God had a plan. Ezra and Nehemiah. God always has a plan. When the sin of man had reached epic proportions, God had a plan. It was his plan all along to send his son Jesus Christ to come and live a perfect life, to die a sinless death, to rise in power, to intercede for us as we call on his name. God always has a plan. So whatever you're facing, whatever plan other than A that you're on, whatever is staring you down, Look back at it. God has a plan. My God has a plan. Second, I want you to concede that God's plan for you is greater and better than your own. This is so hard for Americans because we want to chart our own way, yeah? Concede that God's plan for you is greater and better than your own. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, On God's behalf, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God has a plan for our life, and it's probably not the one we're thinking about. It's better. Number three, take confidence in the fact that God's plans cannot be thwarted. God's always on plan A, Because he doesn't have a viable enemy. Somebody said in our leaders meeting yesterday, God is an undefeated general. (laughs) Take confidence in the fact that God's plan A cannot be thwarted. In Job 42, which will be next week, Job 42, in the midst of all of his adversity, if anybody had opportunity to say, there's no God, and if there is, he doesn't care anything about me. Job says, I know that you can do all things, and that no plan of yours can be thwarted. Number four, know that know for sure that the path is there even when you can't see it. How many of you are in that place in your life where it's like, God, I've come this far. I don't know what's next. How did you get that far? By stepping forward into the dark, right? I think the most exciting parts of my life are the times when you don't know what's going to happen next. Number five, trust him. You want to be on plan A? You've got to trust God. Trust him. Esther said, if I perish, I perish. If this is God's plan for my life, I perish. Now, she wasn't signing up, oh, somebody needs to perish, pick me, pick me. But she said, I surrender. I trust you, God. I 
I don't like this. This is terrifying. But I trust you. How many know Proverbs 3, 5, and 6? Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Trust him. And number six is so relevant, I think, for our age. Is if you want to be on plan A, you need to learn how to seek wisdom over knowledge. It's wisdom that we need, not knowledge. We live in a world that is saturated with information. Yes? I mean, the statistics on information levels, how they have increased in the last decade or two decades amounts of information and how much of it is available to us. The statistics are staggering. And so we have all of this information, this knowledge available to us, and yet the world is spinning out of control. You know, the Tower of Babel in the Old Testament, the tower that was being built was a a symbol of self-reliance that we don't need you, God. And God came and confused the languages of the people. As we bow in our culture to the idol of information, we are straying further away from the God of all wisdom. I don't think I need to learn another thing. I know I will. But I have so much more knowledge than I've acted on. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, what a, what a great song that was. You know, just take us back to just the simple pursuit of you. So at the end of the day, the power of knowing that God has a plan for our lives brings power and encouragement by knowing that he just really isn't finished with us yet. He's not done. God has a plan. He always has a plan. And as I was praying about that for you guys this week, it's, Lord, it's such a simple message and so inspiring to me that you have a plan. So as surprises come to me, as things happen that I would have never guessed would have happened, would happen, or as things happen that I seem to have no control over, does anybody know what I'm talking about? I find great encouragement in the fact that God's God's still on plan A. God's working his plan. And I just think that there's somebody here today, as I was praying out on the wall this morning, who needs to hear these words. You're facing something, and you need to hear these words. I hope they fall on somebody. And it's, they're the words of the Lord. I have a plan for you, and help is on the way. I have a plan for you, and help is on the way. Praise God. Thank you. Anyone else? I have a plan for you, and help is on the way. The word of the Lord is, I have a plan for you, 
and help is on the way. We have some prayer ministry people. Come on up, please. Be prepared to pray for people for anything, whether it be about something I spoke of or something unrelated, something going on in your life you'd like to receive prayer for this morning. Come on up to these guys, and they'll know what to do next, okay? Church, can we stand together, please?